Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today I'm with someone from San Francisco, a place I have near and dear to my heart because I still hold a 415 area code on my cell phone. And it's been 10 years since I've lived there. So we're talking with Martin Sawa. Martin is the author of The Other Side of Success, Money and Meeting in the Golden State. So I'm sure we're going to get into that. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi, Chad, and thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, so you launched, let's start with that. You launched the book in September of 2020. Uh, that seems to me to be kind of at the tail end or maybe smack dab in the middle of, uh, of the pandemic. So did that have anything to do with you writing the book or what was the purpose of, of why you wrote the book? Well, the book actually took me about three years to write. And that was preceded by a few years of writing other kinds of things and um, taking classes. I did a few screenplays, essays. Uh, I got out of the business. Uh, my career was in commercial real estate uh, as a broker, operator, and developer doing large uh, transactions in San Francisco and LA, high-rise office buildings shopping malls, technology parks, that sort of thing. And so I got out of the business and uh, became a writer. And the current result is my personal and professional memoir, The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State. Wow, that's really cool. So you must have had a few meetings on Woodside Road at that famous diner over there that all the VC players like to meet at. Well, I worked uh, Silicon Valley. I also worked downtown San Francisco, West LA. So yes, got it. I met, met some characters. I bet. What's what's the um, the common thread? Because I've met a, a handful of this Silicon Valley CEOs, and a lot of times there's just they're so far out there, at least in the way I communicate. And yet, I think if you put a group of ten of them in a room they'd be perfectly happy communicating with each other. What's the common theme that you've, that you've sensed with all those Silicon Valley people? 
Well, they they have their huge estates up in the hills above uh, in Los Gatos and above Palo Alto, and uh, the likelihood that they would meet uh, another tech entrepreneur in a foreign country is probably greater than meeting their next door neighbor. Uh, so it's it's all in that world. Yeah. But in commercial real estate, where ultimately, although that's starting to change a bit, you, you need physical space to conduct your business. So uh, for them, uh, though, the investment in real estate, which for most businesses is the largest investment after payroll, uh, for them, given just the scaling and the, the amount of money they generate, it's, it's, it's almost an afterthought. Uh, and they can easily afford you know, to do whatever they want in that arena wow. and outbid any, you know, conventional investor. Yeah. Well, the big Benioff Tower became quite an enormous uh, tower there in San Francisco over the last decade or whenever that came out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's get, let's have our audience get to know you. I like to kind of rewind the tape and say, when you were younger, you know, as a, as a child, did you grow up in, in that area? And Tell us about some of your passions. Like what, what, what got you up in the morning when you were a youngster? Well, my parents were immigrants from Ukraine after World War II. Uh, I was conceived in a DP camp, but birthed here on US soil. And uh, so we, we were relocated in a small town in Wisconsin and kind of isolated. I really didn't speak English well until I started grade school. So uh, I actually looked forward to going to school because mm. it brought me in contact you know, with other kids. And I learned I was a pretty good student. And uh, so that, that's kind of where I focus my energies as a youngster. That's uh, very cool. I was born in Wisconsin. And so I definitely can appreciate that Milwaukee, uh, Madison area actually, not too far from Milwaukee. I got my undergraduate at UW. Oh, wow, that's yeah, neat. Yeah. That's where my dad went to school for uh, his medical stuff also. Well, that's, I think you're the first that I've heard that actually liked going to school. And <laughs> and yet, if you think about it, it, it should be something we like to do, because you know, it's fun. You learn things and you meet kids and, and figure things out. Well, there, there happened to have been a Jesuit high school boarding school located right on the perimeter of town, which was quite well known. There were students came from other states and even other countries. And, and so I was fortunate enough to go there as, as a town student. And my, my folks didn't have any money, so I worked my way kind of to pay the tuition. And I learned more in high school. I, I got a classical liberal education uh, for the people who can relate to what, what that was and learned far more than I did in college. So I was very fortunate. And then I moved uh, to the big city. I lived in Chicago and eventually came, moved west to California and had, uh, became a city planner. But uh, one day my wife was pregnant. Uh, I was dead broke and I hated my job and I just quit and got a real estate license. And that was the beginning of my adventure. Wow. What do you think is the 
connection between what you like to do when you studied as a child and and then went to school and you know why real estate what what do you th what led you to that well i didn't really have a boyhood dream or passion or anything for it it was it came out of necessity i i wanted to make real money i was tired of being broke and i didn't think i could do that with a job particularly with the cost of living in the bay area even back then what it was. So I wanted to work for myself. I didn't like working for people. And real estate, uh, at that time, you could get a license basically by fogging a mirror. So there were no barriers to entry. And it represented the biggest assets and biggest commissions I could think of. So I said, why not? <laughs> wow. I went skiing a few years ago. It's probably been five years now. and one of the former, he was the owner of Irvine Company and, 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 I think it was about six foot five or something. I'm going to blank on his name, but I'm sure if you heard it, he was the, one of the wealthiest people in commercial real estate. Well, Donald Brown. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like it. Okay. Uh, he's actually mentioned in my prologue. So, ah, well, there you go. <laughs> I met him on a ski trip one time and he had his family there with him. So it was kind of a neat experience. And what I, what I learned about in conversating with him is that I always thought to be mega loaded, you had to trade off your family for your, uh, your ability to make money. And he actually proved to me that, no, no, that, that wasn't the truth. He actually prioritized things, um, if that's the same person we're talking about. Yeah, um, the thing you have to be careful of is um, the very wealthy, their press is managed pretty good. And you, most people just don't relate to the kind of lifestyle these people live. Uh, and you really, it's only when they get divorced and you read the filings that you get some glimmer on uh, the prices paid. So mm. um, that, that's been my experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, tell me about, so you, you've, um, like you said, your, your parents immigrated. And then I always find that there's something in life that we all face that at the time feels like a gut punch. Is there any of those that you're comfortable sharing that, you know, now looking back, you say, man, that was the crappiest time of my life, but there was a silver lining to it. What, what was one of those for you? Well, this, this will be sort of a spoiler alert for the book, uh, but uh, the, the most painful memory and the most challenging time and the most impactful event in my life was when my second wife uh, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, she wasn't just wife and lover, she was my spiritual mentor and moral compass. And there's nothing that can prepare you for that. So that totally altered the trajectory of my life. Wow. And so what, you know, I'm sure there's someone listening that's, that either hasn't gone through it yet and they will someday, or they're going through it right now, or they went through it. Is there any words of wisdom you can share of, you know, here's the process that I had to go through to, uh, to be okay, you know? There's this kind of, there's the near-term process, which is dealing with grief. 
and it can put you right on the edge and looking into the abyss. Uh, and then there's the longer term process of what does this mean? And how do you change your life for the better as a result? Uh, so the, the shorter process, I, I visit with a grief counselor and you know listen to friends and things, but I ultimately wound up uh, just doing kind of a self-directed uh, recovery. And that's been mostly the story of my life. I prefer to kind of do things on my own. Uh, and I really, I took time off from my career. At that time, I had a partner and we were doing a large scale project in San Francisco. And he was good enough to, you know, cover for me. Uh, as you know, I think you have a partner and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but I basically studied death and, um, and I had some other experiences, which are detailed in the book, I call in the metaphysical area. And uh, eventually made it to the point where I was ready to move on. Uh, the longer term process is still ongoing. It's a journey for the rest of your life. It's finding meaning, you know, finding what you believe to be true, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, um, I remember being in a car accident, a head on collision in, in uh, 20 years ago to the day on July the 3rd. And it, it 21 years ago. And it didn't hit me that I was, I, I never, thought about that I was in a head-on collision. I just thought, well, I was turning at an intersection. The guy happened to be going 65 miles an hour and I was going 20. So if you do the math, that's 80 miles an hour of head-on, you know, and hit the windshield. My friend flew out of the car. He was okay, but it was a one of those life-changing moments. And um, and now I, I have a, one of the bolts from the car that has a dent in it. And it reminds me of how the physical is so passing, <laughs> you know, that, that it's like, you know, it's that metal bolt can be bent and I couldn't hammer it and bend it. It's that, you know, that strong of steel. And, um, and so it just makes me remember that, Hey, in the second half of life, it's, you know, it's now on me to do more than just thinking about myself. Yeah. My, my experience has been that, people I've met, those have, who have dealt with death or great loss, uh, they're, they're a little different. After They're a little different. Yeah, a little that's, different. Right. that's right. Um, so what is what is your passion now? Obviously, you came out with the book not that long ago. And, you know, you're, you said you're really not focused on the commercial property side. What what are you working on these days? Well, I, with, with the remaining years I have in this physical life, and we don't know exactly how long that is, uh, I'm really trying to just impact the world positively, uh, helping my extended family, um, charitable activities, mentorship, things like that. And then, uh, like I'm speaking with you and your listeners, uh, doing podcasts, other media formats, uh, telling people the lessons I learned, and hopefully it can be inspirational 
and they can apply it to their problems in the present day, but trying to keep a positive but real message. So thinking about that, if you could kind of wave the proverbial magic wand and, and change everything, you know, maybe not just for you, but for people that you're impacting, what would be that aha moment thing that would just change the universe, so to speak, right? What, what would happen? Well, I can't wish upon them what happened to me. And, and again, the, the, the sudden and unexpected passing of my wife, she just dropped dead. Um, you know, and the cliche is if life doesn't get your attention, death will. Uh, so I don't want to wish that on anybody. But uh, it, it, if you want to truly change the trajectory of your life, you know, you can't keep doing the same things you're doing and expecting change. It, it, it's some external or internal shock to the system. Uh, so in some of the work I do with people young and old, uh, the first question I ask them is, what do you believe to be true? Uh, in, in the largest sense from the top down, because I see so much in the world today is, is people are just manipulated and duped by images and what people say and they have no ability and you can't find the time or to really try to understand what's happening and discern it and apply it to their lives. So uh, that's usually where I start and see where, you know, where people are at. Wow. Yeah. And it, it's more apparent than ever, but I have to believe that it's truth has been manipulated for centuries and it just feels like to some of us in the last two years the truth has been manipulated but it's been going on since man was a man right well yeah but and you look back like you know the nazi propaganda films and Goebbels, and you think gee how could people be so stupid and then you know years from now people look back on today and that's the same question. So yeah, that's exactly right. You can see it and it's, and it's hard to discern because if you look at the ball from one angle versus another, it, it can, it can have two very different viewpoints. So I understand how it's happening, but at the same time, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's, it's not fun <laughs> just to experience and see. Probably the biggest aspect of my life that, well, that's been most helpful in this area is to what I call put skin in the game. Uh, in, in my business life, as you, as you know, that means uh, putting in risking and having high stakes. So there's a consequence for non-performance. There's a downside. Uh, means risking time, money, and reputation in your business and putting it on the line. And example of not having skin in the game, and you see it where you have a chief executive for a large corporation who, uh, you know, just works to improve his own lot in a short-term perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, if something bad happens, he has a golden parachute and no downside risk and no skin in the game. And he'll make the kind of decisions that come from that situation. And 
in, in personal life, you have all uh, people, internet trolls and people who, you know, anonymously just try to hurt other people and have no downside risk. And, you know, so the best thing is to put skin in the game. If it's a situation you don't understand, put yourself at risk and see what happens. And then you're going to start to get it. Mm, that just gives me the chills, man, because I was trolled in earlier this year and um, it was painful and it was just cancel culture stuff. And it just, and so, however, it caused me to put a lot of skin in the game. So we created living a better story as a direct result. We've, we're helping fund a school that's in Kenya that has 210 teenage girls that are amazing. We're meeting next week with the founder of foodfororphans.org. He's been doing this for years. He's fed 9 million meals. And now we're going to double down on that. And so it's interesting how those times, you can either let them burn you up from both ends, or you can say, no, what? You just lit a candle and, and I'm going to go. <laughs> Let's that's, go. that's a great story. Yeah. Don't get mad, get even. Don't get mad, get even. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, and I also learned through last year, I started to get political and I was on Fox and friends. And then I was on Newsmax, even on election day. And I look back and it feels like throwing a pebble at a wall. The machine's way too big to solve that problem. And I'm not a politician and I do not like politics. So I'm really doubling down on my belief. I believe that I can, I talk to God when I go to bed at night, when I wake up in the morning, I now bookend my prayer in the morning and at night. And by bookending that and actually listening for the responses, man, that Holy Spirit gets in there and drives you in a direction that you never had the understanding of. It's awesome. Now that's, so, that's a great story. Well, yeah, you, when you said it, and I was just, oh, man, I, I just, it, it just hits me so hard. That's really, it's really awesome. Um, if you could go back to when you were 20 and say, hey, Martin, you know, make sure you pay attention, like, like back to the future when he goes, hey, if that kid burns the rug, I think is what it was. What's the one thing you would tell your 20 year old self that would change everything for you? Well, when I was 20, this was uh, 1970. And I was living in Chicago and going to college. Uh, but I already, I had moved from this little town on the day of my high school graduation. I love my parents, but I just had to get away because there was no opportunity. And uh, I had some experience on my belt, even at 20. I, I had nearly missed going to Vietnam. Uh, that was when they had the draft lottery and I had already taken my physical. And they stopped too short of my number that year. Wow. Uh, I had hitchhiked and taken driveway cars cross country. I had my seminal sales experience a year earlier, selling Fuller Brush products door to door. I've heard a lot about a lot of Fuller Brush people these days. That's neat. I've heard well, that one of the most famous ex Fuller Brush salesmen was Billy Graham. Okay. Wow. He was, I think, number one in South Carolina. <laughs> wow. Our old CEO named Sean McLaren was the number one in the Midwest. And he was about to go into, he wanted to play baseball professionally. 
and then he ended up doing writing code and his company was purchased for 30, 40 million dollars at one point. <laughs> so and he, and he learned it all in his fuller brush sales. I, I have to say with, with no hyperbole, what I learned about selling, I learned that summer I had a great mentor. And selling big buildings is a difference of degree, but not kind. It was the same principle. So. Same principle. Wow. That's so that was my 20-year-old self. And I was always, you know, trying new things. And I would, if I had to look back and talk to me, I would say, keep doing what you're doing. You know, don't fear the unknown. No risk, no reward. And put skin in the game. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the app we're launching in about a few days from now is called 77prey.com. And it it's it's a basic, you know, we get so busy these days that if we're not reminded to do something, then you never form the habit. So it's the ultimate goal of it is to crowdsource the ability to put a prayer out. So it's one, it's one thing for you to pray yourself. It's another thing to know you have an army of people praying for whatever it is you need. And so when I had a challenge earlier this year, my son was in a it's been quite the year, let me tell you, Martin. First, I had the January situation. Then February 17th, my son gets burned in an oil fire where he was cooking. And so it blew up in his face and hands. And so all you can do is pray. You're like, I have nothing else I could do, right? And he gets to the point of surgery and we're just praying, praying, praying. It went to the United Airlines Pilot Association, the flight attendants, thousands of people. And the result was he came out of it okay on the other side. And he wasn't going to. His nose was not looking good. His hands were not looking good. But crowdsourcing that many thousands of people, it was like, what? whoa. So, so this, now the app is coming out. Well, that's and great. It's going to be a great. lot of fun. Yeah. So um, tell me, last question is about faith. And so I think we've, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about it. What role does faith play in your journey uh, as you go through life? It's, it's always played a big role. Uh, I was raised uh, Roman Catholic and was an altar boy. And again, attended a Jesuit high school. So I, I had pretty pretty good dose. But then when I went away to college and after that, I just uh, drifted away. I lost the practice and there wasn't any one moment. It was just, uh, I think, the, the growing secularism, which started in the 60s and has reached epic proportions. Um, just and if you're doing well financially and you haven't suffered great loss and you know, you're just too busy to think about those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but then after, again, after uh, my wife passed, I uh, started to study other religions. I, I, she had been working with me. She was uh, uh, an ardent biblical scholar. She didn't believe in the ritual. She grew up uh, Baptist in, uh, in the rural South. Uh, but she read the Bible every night, did her own exegesis. So we had, she had started bringing me back. And then I studied uh, Buddhism and Judaism. And then when I was almost 60, I attended a 
personal retreat at a Jesuit retreat center here in the Bay Area. And after that, I came back and have been practicing ever since. So Wow. I, I love what you just said, which is not practicing the ritual. And so it's it's almost to me, it feels like where we're moving to as society and as a world is relationship over ritual. Because you really can have a, a direct connection to the creator. And that's the part that's like, huh, really? If you would have told me that as a kid, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you just pray it goes out into the ether and it just may so happen that something comes back, but it's all a random chance. And I firmly don't believe that anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Relationship over ritual. And I think a lot of times that's where a lot of people have a challenge with organized religion. And, you know, I get it. I mean, it's when people get involved, we always screw things up, <laughs> right? It's just how it works. Well, the, the other thing is, uh, and th this was, Again, I just observed my wife. Uh, it's it was she didn't proselytize. It was practice what you preach and lead by example. Yeah, we'd have friends coming over all the time, you know, to kind of hear what she had to say and counsel them. And so it's again skin in the game. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're about forty thousand dollars of skin in the game at this point, and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very real, but I think with the app's going to be a $1 a month donation to be part of the app and it, it, it's viral in nature. Cause every day you execute the three tasks. Well, one of them is share this via a text to someone who, who needs the app or share it on Facebook or share it on LinkedIn. So, you know, by day three or four of being a part of the app, you share it on LinkedIn. Some people have 25,000 people who will see that we think this thing is going to grow wildly and then we can really have some impact on people in their, in their lives. So when, when you use it, do you have the psychological feeling of all these people around you? We're still in beta mode. So there's only two or three of us that are on the app. The closest that I can share is when I did post to LinkedIn Wow. You, yeah, that's a, you just gave me a good thought. I interviewed another person today on the podcast who's building another app and it shows on the map where everyone is. I think that would be a really nice feature enhancement that would show the pins on the map that showed all around the globe. Here's the people who just prayed for you yesterday. That'd be, that'd be super. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 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 There's power, man, in in knowing that that you're being prayed for. And my son went to where he could squint his eyes seven days after the burn because it got gets worse before it gets better. And uh, when he came out the other side after they unwrapped the gauze and you just reach out and touch his nose, it's like the prayers were answered, no doubt about it. Did he did he keep his sight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's he great. Closed his eyes. He didn't breathe in. If he would have breathed in, that could have been yeah. bad. And his his right hand's fully normal. His left hand still has a little bit of scarring, but uh, with modern day technology, you know, I, I suspect that goes away over time. So, and it's his left hand. It's not his writing hand, which is good. But he is a computer guy, so he does uh, certainly have need for both of those hands. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. Lucky. 
Well, Martin, any final thoughts you want to leave with the audience today about, you know, what, what's the most important thing you've been through a lot of experiences in life. Like if you could say, Hey, this is the most important thing in life. What, what is that? I, I think the, there's a Japanese proverb says fall down seven times, get up eight. And whether it's owning your own business or, you know, having a personal relationship or raising a family, it's, uh, it's always trials and tribulations and the ability not to get discouraged and to keep getting up, I think is, you know, probably the best piece of advice I can pass on. Love it. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. It's <laughs> another way to say it. That's amazing. Well, Martin Sawa, uh, amazing conversation. The other side of success, money and meaning and the golden state. Um, I, I tell you what, I do a lot of these podcasts and I order a lot of books and uh, yours is going to be on the docket for reading. So I appreciate you joining the show today. Thanks for sharing your story with us. And uh, may you continue to find your happiness and peace in the uh, ongoing days in your journey. Thanks, John. And best of luck to you. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining Living Better Story podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.